What time is it? Hello and welcome in. It's the 237 podcast. Back again, back in action. We have moved the operation indoors in hopes of avoiding the next door neighbor's lawnmower and the dogs barking in the background. Got a full table here also, hooked up a couple of extra mics. So we got everybody in on it today. We got a resident skeptic, Rob Webster. Hi, everybody. He asked the librarian one time if they had any books on skepticism. The librarian said no. He's like, well, I better go check. <laughs> As always, we've got Steve Birchall. I'm deep in. You're what? I'm deep. You're deep. Okay. We're going to find out what that means. <laughs> or I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe we don't want to know. Leave that where it is. Yeah. 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 Leave that where it is. <laughs> Matt Aragon. Good to be here. Good to be here. And the Slim Reaper, our producer, Scott Dean, behind the keyboards. Howdy, howdy. All right, folks. Well, um, we've got a we got an interesting one today. We we've been we, we've covered a lot of top topics, uh, a lot of a lot of fringy stuff, and it seems like one subject that keeps getting brought up over and over again is belief systems. Steve, you're big on belief systems. It's it's a phrase you use a lot. Yeah. So that got me thinking, like, what is a belief system and what does it mean? Does it mean the same thing to everyone? And, you know, what what are the ways that you think about belief systems? And um, so I, I kind of wanted to make that the topic of discussion. Let's let's bring that up and kind of parse through it and see where where everyone's at. So, like. Does anyone, you know, I, I kind of, I told you guys that this is, this is what we were going to talk about when I mentioned it. I'm curious to like, kind of go around the room and see like where your head's at with this subject. Kind of what, what do you think about when you think about belief systems? So, um, yeah, let's, let's start with Matt. He's, uh, he's directly to my left. So, uh, let you kick it off. I mean, I think the most basic definition of a belief system of its universal is a, uh, a cultural cultures or civilizations, uh, what, uh, moral belief system. They're, they're an application of morals towards how a guide on how they should live their lives and how they should proceed through the world. So that's kind of like the, you would be talking about a consensus yeah consensus in, a, on, in yeah. a world where there is a consensus i mean but is there a well, consensus there's not a consensus in the world but there's a consensus within i mean religions or belief systems communities yeah smaller communities. smaller communities yeah. but in terms of like you know i i consider myself like i don't really i i don't like to think of myself as having a tribe uh necessarily in the way that it's thought of you know, in, in modern times. But when I do think of like, if I have to choose a tribe, I'm, I'm like team humanity. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I'm, oh, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm team human. So oh, yeah. oh, that's yeah. humanity's my tribe. And when I think about the belief systems across all of humanity, there are certain things that are, are fairly universal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You I, know. I mean, I think the main, the, a lot of the main elements of 
most every main large religion across the world is a very common yeah. core and a common goal and a common aspect of things and how they believe and morally apply their things like belief system to the world and how they think that the world should apply their belief system and moral value back to the world and to the other people within it. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, you know, it's a broad term that you can use for religion or you can use for your individual thoughts and your individual beliefs. You can use it if you're agnostic, if you're whatever. Yeah. I mean, regardless of where you're coming from, things like the golden rule, yeah, right? Absolutely. Treat others the yeah. way you want to be treated. That's absolutely. fairly universal. Now, there are certain types of people, uh, you know, narcissistic oh, yeah. people oh, yeah. that don't necessarily take that into account because they think it's all about them. But for the most part, most people are, um, you know, we're, we're a fairly benevolent species for the most part. I like to think so anyway. So um, but what about you, Rob? Where, where did you land on this? Well, you touched on it a little bit in your conversation there. I think that uh, belief system is a, is a very general, broad term. And it can apply to religion, it can apply to science, it can apply to morals, it can apply to pretty much everything, and they don't have, all have to be the same. I agree with that, yeah. Um, Steve, where did, where did you land on this? Do you have any, do you have oh, any thoughts on like, yeah, belief I, systems in general? I, I'm, I'm coming along with Rob here. I think belief systems are multi-layered. You know, we have religious beliefs, but just the belief that the chair I'm sitting on is hard enough to hold my weight and all that. That's also a belief system. Mm. The belief that that drink I'm drinking is being held by glass and, and all that. You know, so I think belief systems are multi-layered. For sure. And, and I want to I wanna touch on all of it today. I want to kind of go through... <laughs> Goddamn dogs. <laughs> <laughs> they strike again. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I kind of want to go through all of that stuff today. I kind of want to touch on all those topics. And where where I think you're more at is beliefs versus knowledge. Like you're kind of you're kind of on this. It, it's not necessarily it's a bit of a tangent, but it's not off topic to say when does a belief become knowledge? And I think that the type of stuff you're talking about is what I believe to be true, sincerely, be not, not believe what I know to be true. Like I know it in my bones. I know it for a fact, those things in the, in the universe, in the world tend, they're, they're real. That's what is, that's what reality is. The things you know to be true is what reality is. Well, and I also, but I also think that we take for granted a lot of our beliefs based on what you just said. You know, uh, the fact that we're, we're stuck to the earth, gravity, that's something we take for granted. And it is, it, it, it is something that science knows. Actually, they don't, I'm not sure they science even know. Science they they know. don't know what it is. No, they well, can't no. prove that. Can't we don't prove really, uh, yeah, we don't, we don't know exactly what gravity is. We don't know exactly what photons are. We, right. There's a lot of things that we kind of accept as premises. We take for granted. Well, we accept them. Yeah, we accept yeah. them as, as premises, and then we move on as if that as if it's fact. It's the, the, the theory of gravity, the theory of relativity, the theory of, it's, it's, theories 
Yeah, there's a reason they call them theories, exactly, because it's not... They're non-provable. Well, exactly. If they could prove gravity, then they could prove anti-gravity. Correct. Sure. And, and you could make you could spin it in the, the religious direction, too, where you've got an atheist saying to a religious person, you can't prove that God's real, and you've got the religious person saying to the atheist, well, you can't prove it's not. Exactly. exactly. Same, kind of, same kind of thing. Pretty much. But but where we're, where we're probably going to come back to with you, Steve, is, you know, when does... How do we get from a belief to knowledge to, to the point where saying that you can, the example you like to use is uh, walk through a wall because you, you had that, you had a dream about that one time. Yeah, walking through a steel door. And then that's also, it's funny because um, there's a movie about uh, remote viewing, The Men Who Stare at Goats. And actually the way that movie ends is with a guy running head first. Well, actually the way it begins is with a guy trying to run through a wall and he just mashes his face right into the wall. Well, and I think we're going to get into that as we progress through this is everything that we see, is it real? Well, it is based on our belief system, and we all agree that the floor that's holding up this table and the walls holding up the roof and all that do exist. But do they really? And that's what the end of the movie was. The guy guy built a belief system, hey, this isn't real, and I can walk through it. But my point that I'm saying is that it... In order to do that, in theory, it wasn't. It was no longer a belief. He knew it. He right. knew he could do it. Right. Now, how do you bridge that gap between a belief and knowledge? And we'll circle back to it. I don't want to get completely lost on that rabbit hole because we might never recover and talk about all the like normal aspects of belief systems. Well, and then me and Rob and you and I, we've all had this conversation about, and that's my my big thing is how do you take a belief system and creating knowing out of that. How do you do that? Well, we can have some fun with that today because we'll circle back around to it. But for now, I want to get to, because I've talked to everyone so far here, but Scott, um, about belief systems. Scott, when you hear that phrase, what does that mean to you? Like what what popped into your head when I mentioned that that was going to be the subject of this podcast? I think belief systems are really boil down to the things that we are taught as children. You know, and, and yeah, it goes into religion. And, you know, if your family's Christian and you grow up Christian belief system, you know, believing in Jesus and all of their rights. If you grow up Jewish, you grow up believing all of that. At some point, I think we all go through that questioning point of what we truly believe and our beliefs morph over time. But, I mean, the basic the basics for me is is going back and looking at how I was brought up and the people that influenced how I think about things because that's all really belief systems are is how we think about and perceive the world around us. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with right. that. Um, so it's it's for me. It's it's I've spent my life looking at at how people have influenced the things that I think are true or correct or right. And then judging what's going on around me to go, Hey, maybe I'm thinking about this the wrong way and changing my beliefs as I go along. Well, I, I for sure think that you're onto something in regards to, um, talking about 
the belief systems of, of children, what they tend to, what, what you learn. Cause I mean, you know, as a kid, your brain's developing. So I mean, when you're born, you don't, you don't, when you're born for the first year of your life, you don't believe in anything no. other than getting, you know, being fed and getting your diaper changed. It's like, but at that point, you know, I've thought about that, but at that point you're at the mercy of your parents' belief systems. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I mean you know, from at it. that age, well, at that age, you're not even to that point yet. No, um, there's a reason that happened until t- t- three, between three and five is when most people's core belief systems are set. And then I, I don't I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't. Either. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what was the age? I'm sorry. I was... Between th- between three and five, between no, three and five. Most of your core belief systems are set into you and, and you will stick with those. And it's the real core things. It's like right and wrong. What what's right? What's wrong? Wh- how do you interact with people? By the time you're five years old, most people are set in that. So you're talking more kind of socially. Yes. Your social belief systems and how you interact with people and how you relate to what's what's right and yeah. what's wrong. I, well, I, I can't I can't believe that neither. Oh yeah. Only only because when you mention social, there's a lot of people out there that have I, I don't want to call them diseases, but some of the people that have like Aspergers. Oh yeah. They're socially inept people, but there's also there's also different levels of that. And you can't say that, and that's something you're born with. Um, but uh, but that's, that's something you're born but, with. But but that's a genetic disorder that Correct. predisposes them a- not to a- be able to understand. And, and the Asperger's people are are. And there's different levels of that too. But that's that's what I'm talking about. You you can't say that your core, um, your core aspect and your core beliefs are all set by the time you hit five. There are people that, that have life-changing events when they're 60, and now yeah. all of a sudden they have, they found religion. Yeah. I mean, I have examples of that. I knew a guy that, that got cancer when he was 60, sure. and now all of a sudden he's a Jehovah Witness. Mm. Well, that... What's and he was not about, a religious person what, before that. What your core values are morph over time. You're, you're, you, then they can't be set between your three, by the time you're three and five. They're set... But they're not a permanent set. You know what I'm saying? It's between three and five, you become who you're going to be for the most part. Yeah, but you're now, I think now, you're, now as you grow and, and you learn I, more stuff, you can change. I'm, I'm a totally different person than I was when I was 20. I yeah. change. I, I know. Oh, yes. I change fundamentally from, I mean, this is just me, but I find that about every five years, about once every five years, I look back at myself five years ago and I go, what the fuck was I thinking? What was I doing? Like, I don't even, I mean, I know it was me, but I can barely even relate to that guy. It seems like, I mean, five years is an arbitrary number for sure, but just based on my life experience, when I when I cut it back, it's like every half a decade, I barely recognize the person that I used to be. Well, and I think Scott is talking more about personality. Sure. I think our personality is pretty well set because at four or five, is, is you don't a, have, but no, but that's no, not a belief system. That's what well, I'm saying. I, it's actually, not because my, my entire belief system changed probably five years ago. I mean, everything I believed changed five years ago. And I'm almost 57 years old. 
if you think about your personality as like an operating system, let's let's take let's do it in computer terms because you're a computer guy, right, Scott? So let's think about it like, all right, your personality is your is your um, operating base, system. It's your base programming. Yeah, but you can get updates, and everyone does. Every everyone does, but it, it, when it, when you look at at, at People you've known for a very long time. You know, I've got friends that I've known for 40 years now. And they've changed. Steve's changed. He's changed how he thinks about stuff. But his core, who he is as a core, hasn't really changed. Steve is still a very soft-spoken, very liberal idea type of person. Yeah, he's gone. He's his personality, but your personality is based off of your core belief system. The things that you were taught when no, you were very young. I think that's the who I, I think that's so are, are, are you talking yeah, okay, say say that you have a child, you have a kid, and yeah. if your kid by age six can't socialize with other children and can't share their toys and their goods, their things like that. Are you saying that that is then inevitable that that's going to be a hard thing to change after age five to six? Yeah. And I, that, that that part of them is going to stay a part of them for... Pretty much. The major, it's going to be... It can change. It can change. But it's very, very hard. And it's a, it's a hard, it's a set in stone yeah. type of a thing that you can recarve it and do it, but it's going to take a lot of work to change certain yeah. aspects of your personality and your social being past age six yeah. and most it, and most of that is 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 based off of of fear or some type of of social interaction that but they the, had but, as, but those, ty- as, those, as those types those those types of that yeah. set them up to be stand back yeah. but, but those those types of social social tools or social interactions or personality traits or type whatever you want to name them those type of things is what you're talking oh, about yes. more well, I mean, there's there's good science in psychology that that kind of supports some semblance of what you're saying. Mm-hmm. That the way you are personality wise, by the time you're six, it's not that you can't change it, but it's like trying to turn a giant ship. Yes, you have to. You know, it takes a really large area and a very long time. You can't just turn the thing on a dime. But the argument uh, or the debate that we're kind of sidestepping is like nature versus nurture. You're talking more about nurture and kind of ignoring the nature of a person, what they might just have programmed into their DNA when they're born. Oh, yeah. And and that and that is two totally separate things. I mean, you take somebody I'm not sure who, they are who's born and and is a sociopath. Sociopaths have a have a different brain chemistry, a different brain setup than everybody else. They're predisposed. There's nothing that's going to change that. I don't care how you work with them, how you they just do not think. So how does way. that affect the belief systems? Oh, it doesn't. We're completely I, off topic, but well, I'm just letting uh, it ride because it's good well, conversation. Well, I mean, well, I, we I can bring it back. But. I agree. Well, but. No, 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 actually, actually, that's a good point, because if you look at sociopath, sociopaths, they truly don't have any belief systems. I would agree. And that's that's right. why they're an they're an outlier. Yeah, that's an extreme case. There, there's no they have no true belief in anything good. They don't believe good, evil. They don't believe bad, good. They but just, that's that second layer of belief systems we're talking about. Fundamentally, we all have 
belief systems in reality. You know, we all agree what reality is. That's a belief system. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that's one. Okay, so one last thing I want to say about the nature versus nurture argument, because, um, you know, you said they're they're completely different things. And in order to support that, you use the most extreme example of a human um, of a human like um, personality trait that you can have, which is being a sociopath. Um, sociopaths are fascinating. I definitely want to talk about them, but they are outliers. That is that is not the norm by a long shot. And, and as far as the nature versus nurture debate, when I think about that subject, I tend to think about the way that information is encoded into your genetics. And then, you know, I, I think about like dogs that are born. Uh, Steve, you got a border collie puppy. Mm-hmm. He wants to herd everything. Yep. Any other animals that come up to him, he's just like, okay, let's get you all guys, let's get you guys organized, let's get you in a group, and let's let's herd you around. And then I've also seen dogs that are bird dogs; they're bred to point to birds, and they have a specific pose that they do when they point out a bird. And I've seen puppies in this species do that. They just naturally, the first time they ever see a bird, maybe not the first time, but at some point in puppyhood before they're taught that that's what they're supposed to do, they already know how to do it. Can you tell me why my dog's such a spaz? <laughs> what breed is it? <laughs> it's a lab. Oh, uh, I don't know. No. But <laughs> well, I've he's got a, one of those two. Yeah. Does he, did, but does he retrieve things when you throw things? Does he bring them back? I don't know. If I throw something, it'll run off. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> you know, intelligence is a spectrum. Oh, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but as far as like, but as far as examples in, in humans, you know, a lot of us are born with um, phobias. It's kind of right out of the gate. We're afraid of the dark. We're afraid of spiders. We're afraid of rats. We're afraid of heights. That stuff's just in your DNA. Nobody taught you that. You did. It's not like you fell off a ladder and from that point forward, you were scared of heights. No, you were scared of heights before you ever fell off anything. That feeling of being watched feeling of being watched yeah. exactly yeah um a paranoia and mm-hmm. um, anxiety things like that's, that that's built in so but my point to that is is that when i think of nature versus nurture i think of nature as nurture playing itself out across multiple generations so the reason that is your nature is because it was nurtured into a past generation of that ultimately made up your own genetics so I, I don't actually separate those two in my mind the way that most people do. That that was kind of the only point I wanted to make on nature versus nurture. At some point, we should probably bring this thing back to belief systems. <laughs> <laughs> when you think of, and this is an open this is an open question. Anybody that wants to jump in here can um, just let let the listeners know who's talking because we now have five people at the table, including myself. So just you know, go ahead and say this. You know. Rob here or Matt here or whoever, when it comes to belief systems of other people, particularly with belief systems that you don't agree with, how do you, how do you feel about that? Like when, when someone has a belief system that doesn't line up with what you believe and you're pretty sure they're wrong and you're pretty sure that they don't, they're not even open to discussing why they believe what they believe um, how, how does that how does that hit you? Does anybody have any any kind of feelings towards that or, or, or the way that you commonly handle that type of situation? 
Like, what's your approach to that? I think it really depends, as Rob. I think it really depends on what what you're talking about. If it's if it's religion, I don't hardly ever try and change mm-hmm. anybody's mind about that. Mm-hmm. That's that just that can become a, a very sticky argument. If it's something scientific related, mm-hmm. that's a little easier to deal with. What about something that's just subjective? Like maybe there's no, maybe there's no real science to it, or maybe it could be studied scientifically, but for whatever reason, the person is just like, you know, you, you see the sky is blue and they see it as green and they just will not, they will not cave. Like, what is your, what is your approach to that? My approach? Yeah. Um, leave it alone. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Honestly, that's where I've been for most of my life. I mean, does everyone at the table pretty much agree with that's that's kind of always seemed like the best approach is just like, you know, what, just let them be. Yeah, I mean, and then it, it's you that's deciding as to whether you have that same belief system they do anyways. You know, it, it's, it's you making a judgment. Eh, you're wrong. So I'm not even going to bother fighting, but it, it, that's a belief system as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, uh, I'm saying, no, I'm saying. Even to get to that point, you have to have some form of discussion going on to hear what they believe, right? Then you can choose whether or not to carry on that discussion to figure out what it is that makes them believe that so strongly. For me, I like, depending on the person, and it's, it's person to person is different because some people are just going to freaking scream in your face and go, ah, you're freaking wrong. <laughs> yeah. Some people will actually freaking take the time and sit down and explain their point of view. And I like to have those discussions because I learn from them. So when I can have those discussions it's without it. It's more constructive. Yeah, constru- you know, there's constructive discussion. Get to know somebody. Right. And that's truly, I think, that's how you really get to know who somebody is, is by being able to have those discussions. Problem is, today's, in today's society in America, too many people just want to go, nope, you're wrong, I'm right, and ugh. Yeah. You know, and that becomes a problem now that you, you know, it's it's really hard to actually sit down and have a really heart to heart with people on their own, why they believe the things they believe. And you can just agree to disagree. Yeah. You know, and, and still be friends and still have a conversation and still. At at the end of the day, I always try to do that. It's it's, it's go, you know what? I, that's what you think. Have fun with it. Yeah. It's not any sweat off of my back because at the end of the day, I'm going to be me. You're going to be you. Right. And hopefully we can meet in the middle and have a good time together, right. regardless of what you think about this one subject. That's why I've never liked you, Scott. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, you, you said it, you said it beautifully. You touched on the heart of the, the entire point of this conversation today, which is that, when you have a person that you disagree with, but you can still have a conversation with them and actually bounce ideas off of each other, it is constructive and you do learn something. You learn something and they learn something and both sides benefit. And I think that that is- So, in, so is that tied into a belief system? Yes. I mean, believing that 
that we can all have a conversation, not have to agree with one another. Well, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, me and Steve are a perfect example of this. And I've driven his wife's and kids crazy over the last <laughs> 20 years with me and him on the back porch. That's why they don't like you either. <laughs> going at each other about the most <laughs> random crap. And we've always, I don't know if we did it on purpose or we, you know, a lot of things we don't really agree on. We agree on a lot of, a lot of the minutia of it, but when it comes to the hardcore stuff, we, there's a lot of stuff we don't really see eye to eye on. But over the 20 years that we've been friends, we've both learned from each other and changed some of how we think about things by having those in-depth discussions and sitting so, there and so getting what, in each other's faces so what every now of, and then to the point to where... So what part of your belief system does that is that connected to? You know I, what I mean? I think most of it is that Steve's a little bit more liberal-minded and I'm a little bit more conservative and and... Those ideas transferred to almost all of our belief systems. Well, Those so well, don't you have to be? So how many how many belief systems or how many layers of a belief system does somebody have? Because you say liberal and conservative. I mean, you can have you can have liberal conservative. You can have religious <laughs> non religious. Well, you, you know, let's let's so hold how, on. So how, but yeah, but you know what I'm saying. You know how many how many layers of belief system does a person have? A, Upon them. we need to you draw. Know what I, you know what I'm saying? We need to draw a distinction between a belief and a belief system. Now, if you're talking about liberals and conservatives, you're talking about beliefs. beliefs. You're not talking about, about a system systems. of believing. Right. There is a difference there. But so, are you? Or is, is that just applying to politics, though? No, it's a, it's applying to literally anything. Um, when so, I've observed this. What what Scott was talking about with his relationship with Steve. I've seen this play out and it's, it's one of the reasons that I, you know, I love hanging out with you guys and interacting with you guys. It's one of the reasons I'm like so glad that you guys are here doing this podcast with me because I've seen you both change. I've seen where, you know, Steve was and I've seen where Scott was and I've seen them bounce ideas off of each other and interact in meaningful ways and debate things and have discussions over ideas and i've seen one side give a little and then i've seen the other side give a little and i've watched you two guys still maintain your individuality you're not you haven't formed a tribe you know you're not team whatever the hell you didn't come up with a name you don't have a uniform you know you don't believe the exact same things but you're still friends and you still influence each other but you still have your individuality and that's a beautiful thing. And I would like to see more of that. And, and to your point, Rob, what you were asking, when I think about this topic, I think about it in terms of people who are people who believe in like ideology or, or subscribe to ideologies versus being more of a mindful person that doesn't necessarily identify with their every idea or their every thought so that when someone challenges an idea or a belief that you have, you don't automatically take it as a personal affront. It's not an assault on you as an individual. I'm not questioning you. I'm not questioning your, I'm not trying to invalidate you. I'm trying to invalidate this idea that just came out of your mouth, recognizing the fact that where this idea came from 
is just it's just something that popped in your head. It came from nowhere. You don't know where it came from. You don't know the next. I don't know the next thing that's going to come out of my mouth. It just comes out, and then I'm like try to make sense of it after the fact. Well, do you, do you want to go down the rabbit hole on belief systems real quick, and this will kind of turn things, you know, back to the hypnosis. And Rob and I, we've all had this conversation. Under hypnosis, when I'm talking to these people's higher selves, and I also listen to a lot of other people's hypnosis sessions. And I noticed the last couple of years coming through all these were analyze your belief system. And I was told this a dozen times, and Rob, you and I have had this conversation. And, and uh, you know, I had somebody that was wanting to lose weight. And one of the questions that came up was, why does a piece of cake make me fat? And you guys have all heard this, but the listeners haven't. Um, well, it's because you believe it does. Well, according to the other side, we're basically living in a dream, a matrix. So if nothing truly exists, the only thing that does exist is our beliefs about all these things that we kind of agree on. Ever since you were a little kid, ah, if you eat too much cake, you're going to get fat. Well, if you don't exist and the cake truly doesn't exist, well, then the only thing that does exist is what you believe about that piece of cake. Same with drugs and all that. The other side... And I know you don't like the other side. I don't like the other side because when I hear you say the other side says or according to the other side, I hear the exact same thing as when a religious person says, well, according to the God. Bible or Jesus said or God told me. Well, I'll just let's just say uh, room B or you say room B or says, just say I believe just own it. If that's if those are your beliefs, then say I believe. Okay. I believe that all drugs, all drinks, all food are all placebos. So it's our belief system about that. People going into the hospital that, have, that are addicted to Percocets and all that, and you guys can look all this stuff up. A lot of times they'll just give them a placebo. Mm -hmm. And as long as they believe that, what they're getting is the real thing, they seem to get better. What was the story? You've told me this before, but it's been a while. There was a guy that had um, uh, like a, a a late stage form of cancer. Yeah, he was full it, of tumors. And it, it was in the book, The Holographic Universe. And uh, the, guy, the guy had read, I think it was an article that he had read about a, uh, a new cancer drug. And he was within two or three days of dying of this particular cancer. And he read this article and ran to his doctor and his doctor reluctantly gave him this medicine, knowing that come, you know, this is Friday, come Monday, he's dead. Well, come Monday, the tumors and all that are shrunk in half. And within just a month or so, he was in complete remission. And then a couple years later, he reads another article about how this drug was worthless and it didn't do anything. And within a month, he was dead. Mm. Yeah. Um, my my feelings on that is that somehow, some way, this guy tapped into the thing. And I think this is the reason that this story is, is so powerful to you is because this guy somehow, some way, was able to go from and, and pro probably out of desperation – I mean, the guy didn't want to die. 
you know, so he had a, he had the most, he had a more powerful motivation than, you know, most people, especially knowing there was a clock on it and, you know, given, given only a few days to live, he somehow crossed that, that bridge between you keep saying beliefs, but to him, it was knowledge. He knew it would work. There was no doubt. I don't think there was any doubt in this guy's mind. If I could just get this, it would solve. This is the, this is the pill now, it had to be a task that his body was able to actually accomplish. So I think that his body actually had to have the ability to recover from this. Well, I've had this conversation with all you guys here. How do you take and change a belief system into a knowing? How do you do that? How can I convince myself that I can eat all I want and I won't gain any weight? Based on everything I just said, I should be able to do that. I should be able to reverse my aging. The only reason I get old in my mind is because I believe I get old. I've been told since I was a little kid I'm going to get old. And and you see it happen every day. And I see it happen every day, but there's got to be a way well, that's to just change it. that belief system into a knowing. I How do we you, do that? I think you tapped into it. I think that the way it works is you you have a you have a belief. You you know you ha- and then you get feedback from the physical world so with anything like if you i want you know i wonder if that stove is hot you place your hand over the stove you feel heat well, that's something you learn when you're young yeah but my point is that but that applies a, to everything that's a belief system because i guarantee there's somebody in this world that could take their hand and put on a red hot stove and it wouldn't burn them there's some monk hiding in a cave <laughs> up in tibet they could probably do that. But uh, the way I think it would work for him is he would place his hand over the stove and he wouldn't feel heat radiating off of it. Right. And he would know that it wasn't hot and then he would place it on it well, and he, it wouldn't be hot. He knows the stove's not real. Sure. Uh, okay. You know? Okay. Well. <laughs> All right. We got Rob in. <laughs> we got Rob in. <laughs> then it has to go further than just the individual. It's I, gotta, I agree. Yeah, it's you know yes. I, mean? I agree strongly. It's got to be a collective an, thing. An individual might be able to cure himself of cancer, if, if at all possible. But the individual is not going to be able to walk through that wall because there are everybody else standing around looking at him is also conscious. Believes, believes that he can't do it. Yes. Right. And, and I agree with that, Rob. And that goes back to how do we change belief systems my belief that I, everybody's not you know and, and, and i'm gonna throw this out there and you guys have all heard it i had a dream so vivid that it was so god darn real that i was in a room and a guy walks past me and he says follow me do as i do and he walked up and walked right through a steel door and i hesitated and he says do as i do and i walked through that door And then I had a client at the very end, I asked about this dream I had, and it said all points in time, the past, the present, and the future all came together in that moment to show you that you can walk through this door if you choose to. Again, we come down to... Deal with that. If you choose to do it, it doesn't matter. I don't know. You have to get everybody else to believe that that's possible also. That's what we're talking about. Here's here's the other take on that. In your dream where it was 
when he's talking about walking through a door, was he actually talking about walking through a real door, or was he talking about walking through a, a, a metaphorical door on some part of the, your beliefs that you had to open up a door, walk through to get rid of some belief system that you had you know that what? was holding I mean, you back from progressing? You're right, and I've thought about that. You know, I don't know, Scott. I don't know. See, I would, I would think that. That's why I see a rubber was, room at the end of my road. Was was, <laughs> was the actual is the actual correct answer that that was a they were using the door as a metaphor for you to actually walk through something that you were going through and come through the other side and learn a lesson from it. Well, I mean, you're you're exactly right. I don't know. I definitely tend to agree with Rob in the sense that. You know, I because I, I I'm on record saying that I believe, and I've got a lot of very smart people that agree with this take that consciousness is what creates reality. But I don't think your individual consciousness creates your individual reality. I think that all of consciousness is involved in creating reality. And once something becomes knowledge, like consensus knowledge, I don't think you can change that as an individual, unless you get everyone to believe as you do. And I think that intrinsically, we all kind of sense this. And it's one of the driving factors of why we feel the need to try to influence people and try to get them to see things the way we see them. I think that's that's a major driving factor in that. So with that, I want to, um, I want to get back into the original topic of like basic belief systems and when people believe things that are run counter to what you do. We had this, we had this round table discussion because I wanted to see how you guys respond to um, dealing with people that believe differently than you do. And I'm not surprised at all to, to see that you guys are kind of in the same place um, where I started out. The, the way I was taught to think about this stuff is that, you know, when it comes to belief systems, I've spent the majority of my life thinking that, you know, I kind of had that all figured out. And the notion was, I have my beliefs and you have yours. And it's fine that they're not the same because what I was taught from an early age is that that's called tolerance, right? And, and tolerance, being tolerant of other people's beliefs, no matter what they are, is the moral and correct way to approach differences in others. You know, it, the notion was that it's respectful to allow others to believe as they do without trying to interfere or alter their belief systems. Because after all, as long as they're not hurting anyone, what business is it of yours anyway? So that, that's, kinda, that's kind of, you know, the lens that I was looking at it through. But that's just it, the, the caveat right there at the end of it, as long as they're not hurting anyone. Even though I still agree with everything I said up until that caveat, what's changed in me is my understanding of what it means to not harm others with your beliefs, to not harm society. If, if you really believe that we're, you know, all, all people are created equal in terms of the the rights that they have it's it's a matter of 
it, I don't know. It's gotten it's gotten to the point where I, I can't look away from things that I used to be able to ignore in good conscience. I used to be able to, you know, hear someone say something that was ridiculous and far-fetched and they would, you know, they, they were dug in on it and they would defend it no matter what you presented to them that ran contrary to it. They, they just didn't want to hear it. And I used to think, well, that's fine. But now I'm at a point where I feel like, you know, certain ideas, if you believe in them with just blind faith that actually hinders your ability to think critically about everything and in having those types of beliefs you also spread that to others and you make it seem okay and you do it through the lens of faith and and faith is faith is so tricky because it plays on it plays on positive connotations with things like hope and trust and loyalty. We all think that hope and trust and loyalty are, are good things, but the, the problem is it can, it can act as a disguise at the same time, paradoxically, and be used to excuse irresponsible thinking and especially closed mindedness. I found this book by Andy Norman and the book is called Mental Immunity. And what, and what Norman does in this is he thinks of bad ideas and, and bad ways of thinking as neural pathogens. It's like you're being infected and your body's natural or your mind's natural immune system has been compromised by these things. And because you allow them to persist, you lose the ability to think critically about everything. So my favorite thing that he did in this book is he established a playbook. And the way he went about this was, okay, if you had some malicious intelligence, it doesn't even have to be human. It could just be any, any type of intelligent being that wanted to subvert people's ability to think reasonably and think critically. What would be the methodology of doing that? How would you approach that? And what he came to was a series of plays that you can go through. And I was struck by how many of these resonated with me and how many of these I've observed in people throughout the course of my life when it comes to belief systems. The first one would be privacy, okay? If you want to escape questions that you don't like, you could start by saying that it's a private matter. Start by reminding the questioner that your core beliefs are not their concern. My beliefs, my current beliefs, they work for me. And you can insist that a belief is a private matter and that they should just leave you alone. And the problem with that is that, well, first of all, do you guys have any thoughts on that when, when you hear that statement of, you know, this is a private thing. This is this is what I believe and this is my belief system and this works for me and it's none of your business. You should leave me alone. I mean, do, do you tend to agree with that? Because I used to agree with that. I, I, for me, it would totally depend on what the belief was. You know, it's like, OK, I, well, I, I believe that that Coke is better than Pepsi. <laughs> So you go back to the societal harm right. thing. If it doesn't cause if harm to society, it doesn't make a difference. So if it's fine, it's fine. Yes. 
You know, if, if it's if it's something about uh, well, you can't you can't do this or you shouldn't believe this because what you because you know it's it's and I hate to bring politics it's, it's Trump push Trump of, uh, against Biden. Clinton or Biden or <clears throat> you know this whole dichotomy of although Trump's an asshole and Clinton's right or you know the, there's no discussion there really anymore it's like well I just believe this and you're wrong you know what let's have a discussion about why you think I'm wrong and I'll have a discussion about why I think you're wrong in this and let's try to find a middle ground that you know what he ain't really an asshole and he ain't really the best freaking thing out there well, you're definitely allowed to have your preferences, yeah, you know, and, and we're, I think I think when we're talking about stuff like that, especially when you're talking about something as mundane as Coke versus Pepsi. Well, that's just a preference. That's yeah. not a belief. But I would you know? think as long as your beliefs aren't stepping on somebody else's in, in infringing upon anybody else's yeah, beliefs you know, or making then, them change. Then if you, or, well, yeah. if you well, tell okay, me, then, if then you what t- if what if my belief were I could do 100 miles an hour on the highway when nobody else was there? Well, then you're affecting others. Yeah. When no one else. Well, if highway? nobody else is there, yeah, do you know, if it's three o'clock in the morning, the highway's dead. Yeah. Do 100 miles an hour. I mean, if you had the ability to know for sure that no one is around, but even then, even then, it, you know, when you say that that's that's my that's up to my privacy, that's my prerogative. You know, the problem with saying so, privacy is such an ambiguous term. Like, what do you mean by private? Like, surely you don't mean that it's no one else's concern. Like, don't your beliefs, even that belief in that case of, well, I can do whatever speed I want as long as no one else is around. Do your beliefs there not impact others? Like, do you not have a family? But does privacy does privacy then become a moral thing? Do you see what I mean? Because we ha- we have laws for privacy. You're not allowed to take pictures through somebody's window into their house. Yes, there's a law against that. Yes, for those people that still want to do it, is does that become a moral thing? Well, I mean, it becomes a legal thing. That's um, but is it still is it morally wrong? Well, we're going to get into that because that comes up to the second play in the playbook, which is the right to believe. You know, but as far as like as far as privacy. The main takeaway that I had is that, you know, you have to realize that what do you mean by privacy and what do you mean by it's no one else's concern? Because at the end of the day, your beliefs do impact others, Mm -hmm. especially those that you care about the most. And are they not important, too? So I think you have to take that into consideration. And that's a that's a great that's a great comeback to the the notion of this is private. Why do you care? It's none of your business. Well, you know, it, it is. I think I think I think it is that uh, if somebody believes something, and they there has to be a reason in which they believe it. You know, if they say it's private and they don't want to share why, then it makes you curious as to what well, is it they really. Uh, well, think. what if they so say why? I'm an incredibly private person? Oh yeah, yeah. me too. Oh, yeah, but if you but if you, I think it's a difference too. If somebody asks that question to somebody that's a private person, or if somebody that's a private person says something and then someone questions asks a question. But but if you're gonna say you know. Privacy doesn't matter. Now it almost seems like you want to know what they're doing, and force your morals on them. Oh no, no. Uh, you know, if, if uh-huh. I'm if I'm not doing anything wrong, oh, it, it shouldn't matter at all. Then it I agree. Matter. Oh, then, absolutely. I'm I'm 100 with you. But, but uh, why should you even have to say? Anything? If you are certain, if you can be certain, and you can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that your beliefs, whatever your belief is, in any given circumstances, really doesn't impact anyone else other than yourself 
then yeah, I think you should you should be entitled to that. Oh, but 100%. I think that privacy privacy starts to get a little fringy and ambiguous when you start trying to make that case that your beliefs don't impact others. Because the only point that I'm trying to making here in regards to privacy is that your beliefs do impact others. Well, let's take this one step back. If if you get to if somebody gets to the point where they go, well, it's none of your business as a private matter. Well, they've already made it your business when they tried to when the conversation started. The conversation had to start, and they had to try to get you to believe something that they believed. When you question them on their belief, then they back off and go, "Well, no, this is a private matter," and I'm right. And, and right, so it's now they try to engagement. They try to they try to take engagement, and they're taking yeah. the engagement away from. They, you know, you start a conversation, and then you go, "Well, no." And that's e. That's part of that's ego. Yeah. We well, that's the, that that's the play. Bit. That's the play here. You take something that's internal, you make it external by putting it out into the world, and then when someone challenges you, you on it, it you try to pull it back in and say, "Well, that was supposed yeah. to be internal. That wasn't supposed to be external." Well, then why is it out there now? Yeah. You know, if you really wanted to keep it private, you should have kept it. Then private. keep it private. Yeah, that would be my point. <laughs> so the next play was the right to believe. So if someone points out that your beliefs are irresponsible, you could start by saying, when it comes to beliefs, we have no responsibilities. And that even if we did have responsibilities to others in regards to what we believe, that would be superseded or overruled by my right to believe in what I choose, period, end of story. So again, but a right is an ambiguous term. Rob, you brought it up a minute ago. So, okay, what do you mean by a right? Do you mean a legal right or do you mean a moral right? Because you don't have a legal right to look in through someone's window. That is illegal. Morally, we could have that debate. I would, I would make the case that because of the way looking into other people's windows affects other people, it's also morally wrong. Well, it might, but what about that person on the other side of the, the window? What if they want to be seen? Well, I mean, there are people like that too. They, they are. Well, and it, should, it also depends why you're hey, looking whatever you're window. into. You know, you know, if you know this guy beats his wife, and his wife said, "Hey, could you swing by?" And maybe, yeah. maybe you're looking in the window to and you to, 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 to see to, it happen. Or well, to, to see yeah. it, see it happen or take a mm -hmm. picture of it so you can help her get out of the situation. You know, I mean, there's different reasons for looking in the window. Mm -hmm. Sure, but, My, been in, but you just you just said it. You were invited to look in the window. Yep. Well, yeah, you're right there. So, or there. what? Or the? Or what's the argument? You're suspicious of something going on at a neighbor's house, so you but, sneak across uh, to peek in the window, but, and you see a. But suspicion is not illegal. No, it's not illegal. But then the act of you going across and peeping in your neighbor's window is illegal. But if the if in the same time you have a suspicion and you're peeping in the window proves that suspicion to be true, then what is the invading their privacy? But if the suspicion of something is they're beating their wife, you hear noise, you hear something going across next door and you go to peep in the window and you see some guy beating the shit out of his wife. What if you see them role playing? Yeah, you might. What if you see him? What if you see somebody getting killed? What if it, you know, but it's yeah, a matter well, of what, well, ifs. what ifs. Yeah, it's, I don't, don't want to go more, down. It's the more. I don't want to go down the what ifs but, but thing. It, but it's the, it, it's the, you know, it, it, it's the act or the, the, the ends justify the means kind of an argument. I don't, but we come it, back to, I don't think they we do. We come back to what's moral. Is, I mean, it's is what it, goes on there is goes on but there. Is, but it, again, is it what goes moral? on in privacy can affect 
society and the rest of the but is it is it also. even moral to have that thought of I'm going to go look in no, the window because I, I, I think no, they're doing something no, wrong? No, I don't think so. I don't. Man, have you ever I'm put a stool in front I'm of not. somebody's window? No, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't at all. But it brought up, so I'm kind of bringing up the other <laughs> on, side on, of the argument. On the front porch. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, I mean that, that that brings up a really good question: is is morals and beliefs? Well, right? I'm, I'm talking. I, I want to talk about how, rights. How, I want to talk about do you have the right? Well. That, that, Oh, no, no. More, <laughs> morals are a belief system that's based on your societal norms. You know, the morals in the United States are not the same morals as Saudi Arabia. Agreed. <laughs> but then where do they get their morals from? Do they get it from their book? Do they get it from the Koran? Well, let's uh, not get let's not get lost in the in yeah. the morality of it. I, I really wanted to just talk about the the rights and and the and the the place that I was trying to get to was, you know, just because you have the right to do something, does that mean, like, surely you don't mean that whatever you do have the right to do, you should definitely do it. Like, should we just unabashedly do everything? that we technically have the right to do, as in it's not illegal, regardless of whether or not it's moral, because morality is subjective yeah. for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, um, so like, you know, I mean, I, I hope that you don't believe that. I hope you don't like, I, you know, legally I have the right to, never mind looking into someone's window, I have the right to look you in the face and call you a cunt. You know, legally I have the right mm-hmm. to do that, sure. but should I? Probably not, right? I mean, it, you know, get get your phones out and go through your list of contacts and start calling everyone up and calling them a cunt. Why? Because you have the legal right to. Why wouldn't you? You know, that's that's the point of, you know, when you say I have the right to believe whatever I want, That that's where that argument sort of falls apart. Like at a certain point, don't those don't rights come with responsibilities and can't those responsibilities sometimes override your rights? Even though you still technically have that right, shouldn't the responsibility that comes with that let you, you know, be able to parse through whether or not you should actually carry out that action or hold that belief in this case? Um, Yeah, I mean, that's basic. It's a basic thing. But my point is that when you challenge people's belief systems, one of the crutches they will lean on is, well, it's my right to believe that. So I kind of wanted to, you know, I wanted to take that apart. And that was that was number two in his playbook. Number three was the thought police ploy. So if someone tries to challenge your belief in something, just ask, well, who appointed you the thought police? You know, imply that their criticism and political correctness is downright Orwellian and smacks of authoritarian control, Um, you know, values they're subjective, just like we were saying, morality and values, that is a subjective thing. But again, you have an ambiguous term in there of subjective. So what do you mean by subjective? Surely you don't mean arbitrary and that anything goes. I think there's a lot of people out there right now that wouldn't understand what you mean by Orwellian. Uh, George Orwell, 1984. I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think there's a lot of people that wouldn't. Have, have you, uh, have you got, I'm surely you've heard a reference to 1984 before. Have you guys read it? Yes. At some point? It's been a while, probably. It's been a while for me. And I've seen the movie. And I've oh. seen the movie. <laughs> yeah. 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 So if you don't know who George Orwell is, he wrote this book, 1984, that if you read it today, it'll make your hair stand up. You know, it'll, uh, it'll uh, give you goosebumps. Well, 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 for anybody who, who thinks critically, unfortunately, yeah. we have a lot of people in 
society now who have who have lost the capacity to think critically yeah. about the things that they say and do. I have not read it or seen the movie. Yeah, you should at least see the movie. Yeah, I'm a loser. <laughs> Actually, you should read the book because the book yeah, the is way, way better. The than book's always the better. movie. Absolutely. Well, it it just explains the concepts oh, out. The movie's okay. kind of a little mm-hmm. ambiguous in what's it's dramatized. What what the whole concept is? Absolutely. I only bring it up because it ties in a little bit with what we're discussing. You know. Yeah, and it, you know the whole thing with the whole thing with Orwell's 1984 was that you had the government who was like Big Brother, and they would stifle any kind of creativity or individual thought, and they had policies that were specifically designed, and they, you know, it was it, it was a very controlled existence for everyone in there, and they they had certain ways of dehumanizing and um, deindividualizing people that made them subjective to to the government and things like that. And if you read the book and you read the, the way that the government goes about doing things in the book, you will not be able to help but see parallels between what he was describing as a possibility and what and what, you know, is kind of taking place in society today. So that's a, that's a good read if you need something to uh, make you question things. You sounds, should, sounds like North Korea. I mean, I mean. Well, it, it was said that he was focused on uh, Stalin. That was that yeah. was who he had in mind when he wrote the book at the time. But what I was saying, you know, as far as like the thought police ploy, and you know, who are you? You know, who assigned you? Who made you grand shithead of what I'm allowed to believe and what I'm not about to believe? It's I. It's not that you're trying to police anyone's thoughts. It's just you're trying to appeal to their better judgment. So this is just a ploy that you can use the thought police, like. Um, you know, instead of just, you you can just approach it by saying, can we just examine the idea together in an honest way and not make it about who has authority over who? But instead of a thought police, like kind of how I see what's going on is they create our thoughts through our media is kind of what I see going on these days. Yeah. I mean, you're describing like manipulation of people's thoughts instead right. of policing their thoughts. Let's, let's guide their thoughts. Right. And that, but that's a different, that's a whole different genre. So the fourth play was the, uh, the who's to say gambit. So if someone is trying to suggest to you that you should hold yourself to a higher standard, you could simply shrug it off and come at them with, well, who's to say what is right and what is wrong? You know, it, it has the benefit of coming across as, humble so you have this apparent humility about it it also makes you seem open-minded by saying well who's to say who's you know it also it it has the ability of making you seem open-minded while suggesting that your critics standard hasn't been established to anyone's satisfaction and it also challenges their standing to question you kind of like passive aggressively saying who are you to question me my response to that, or his, you know, Andy Norman's response in the book was, we, we are to say, you know, surely it's up to us. We as a collective, the ones who can weed out bad ideas, because if not us, then who? And if not now, then when? Either, either we as a collective choose to question people's beliefs and have discussions and try to find a middle ground on, on our beliefs, or we 
negate our ability to do that and leave it up to other people who may not have the same values or beliefs that are coherent to building a decent society. But what if those beliefs are sacred? That's number, that's number six, the sacred belief strategy. But who makes them sacred? Well, that's just it. You know, it, it, in society, we're, we're kind of taught, and, and the reason that we're taught tolerance and things, and I, again, I do think tolerance is a good thing as long as you can prove that it's a pri- they really are keeping it private and none of their beliefs are actually affecting others, but it is such a rare thing for you to harbor a very strong belief and not have it affect the others around you. I, it's a very, very, very rare thing. And, you know, it's, it's fine when it's something like a preference, something as mundane as, you know, Coke and Pepsi. But when you start saying that these are your sacred beliefs and that sacred things must be treated with awe and humble submission and respect right out of the gate, any challenge to that becomes profane. And you can just take on this, this reverent tone and state that this particular belief of mine occupies a hallowed place in my universe. You see, in my faith, this belief is sacred, and I would appreciate it if you would stop trying to desecrate this holy belief of mine. The basis of that is you can't question basic value commitments, and basic is the problem here. That's, that's the ambiguous term. Like, of course we can. We can't just exempt basic beliefs from scrutiny because at that point you're doing it in the face of reason, right? You're, you're completely giving everyone a pass and subverting reason for the sake of preserving your sacred cow, whatever that happens to be, you know? And what if everyone did that? We, we'd never have a good discussion or an honest discussion about anything. And, and you know, tethered to that is the faith card, because articles of faith must be handled with special care and everyone knows it. It's a very effective card to play. You just explain that the belief in question is an article of faith that is central to your spiritual, emotional well-being and your psychological health is therefore at stake. And any critical examining of this belief is therefore cruel and insensitive. So you can, you can also say that you need this belief to stay intact in order to remain hopeful and trusting and, and morally centered. So now you're making it where any challenge to your belief because you've played the faith card is now mean spirited. You're questioning core commitments and, and that's it, it, So you, you're inclined to have this like misguided niceness where you just, okay, well, if that's what you believe, that's fine. I'm not gonna, I wouldn't want to throw you off of your, uh, I wouldn't want to throw you off of your equilibrium and, and mess up your head by trying to get you to believe in something than, you know, what you currently believe and think critically about what your beliefs actually are and what you're actually saying when you say these things. You know, I, it, the question is, how do we keep faith from becoming a license to believe whatever we want, regardless of it being, you know, if it's baseless or if it has a negative impact on others who have done nothing wrong? I think that's the key there, Travis, is... How does it impact others? Like my, my opposition to gay marriage is based on my faith in God, for example. Right, right. But as long as your beliefs aren't stepping on everybody else and your wife's not chained to the bed and your kids are chained up down in the basement, I think you can believe whatever it is you want. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing that you can do with faith is you can, you can kind of treat it like a faint where it's like, 
you know, everyone takes things on faith. And the goal there is to make it seem as though relying on a premise, which is something we all do. We all have to rely on premises to operate in the world. We have to rely on the premise and theories, right? We were talking about gravity earlier. That's, you know, that's a theory. It's not proven. We don't have, you know, hard data. We don't fully understand it. So that's, you know, that's a premise. Well, you're taking it on faith. Well, no, not necessarily. I agree. Not necessarily. Because, you know, gravity is, is may not be, might not be able to prove what it is, but proof that it, that it exists. Yeah. And there's, you know? there's a massive divide. There's a big difference between relying on a premise for certain, for certain things like that and clinging to an article of faith, even when you're given evidence that disproves well, I, what I, you believe in. I think the term you know, taking it on faith really more applies to something that you can't prove. We don't necessarily have to prove that gravity exists. That's already, it's already known. It's yeah, but it, well, it's a, it's a premise that we build on top of, but the, the faith card would kind of say, you know, you're, well, you're building all of your beliefs off of this premise that you can't prove. Why can't I do the same thing as if it, as if it is the same thing. And you guys all seem to understand that that's not the same thing, but I think that's a common argument that people use to try to, you know, subvert higher thinking. Well, I think that they say that when they run out of, they run out of arguments. Yeah, well, they do that or they move on to the next one, which is the precious delusion dodge. The idea that people need their illusions, their identities, they adopt beliefs that bolster their sense that they matter in the world. So like people's, it plays off of people's need to matter. And we all want to matter. Like we all want there to be meaning in things. That's a very, that's a very human trait. When you take the, the trick here is to let the questioner know that your belief is deeply meaningful to you. And hopefully they realize that they need to leave you alone and, and cut it out with questioning it because otherwise your entire sense of purpose in life could come crashing down and you can indicate to them that you can't, you just can't go there. I can't, I can't think about these things without becoming depressed or nihilistic and feeling like nothing matters. And, you know, there's no reason for anything. Like, why should I, there's no cosmic reason for me to brush my teeth in the morning. So why should I even do it? It's all bullshit. It doesn't matter. You know, cognitive dissonance at its best. And unfortunately, belief systems, it will take generations of blending societies to get some of those hardcore just jihadist type of religious extremists you're not gonna you're not gonna have a conversation with with someone like that you just they're just gonna refuse to do it the only way to change that society is generational by blending societies together and as their kids grow up being exposed to different ideas not just that then the next generation will be a little bit more accepting in the next generation it's america i mean you go back to the founding of america you had very specific groups of religions here and over the course of 250 years most of those religions have morphed into something that they are they're not the same as what they were when they first came here. Their, their acceptance of different belief systems and different ideas have completely changed, and that's a generational thing. 
But the question is, what do you do with a person when you when you start to challenge their beliefs and they come back at you with, listen, I need you to let just let this go. I need you to stop questioning me because what you're doing right now, this thread that you're pulling at is going to unravel the fabric of my entire life. Like I can't function without these beliefs and right. you're, you're fucking with that right now. I think you walk away. You had, I mean, <laughs> your choice is to walk away. Otherwise you get, I truly believe you would end up doing, depending on the person, you'd end up doing more harm than you do good. I've seen, I've seen it happen. Like I've seen people lose their faith and it wasn't that I did it to them. It was just, they naturally arrived at that place, you know, on their own. And I think that that's a part of, that's a part of, growing up and becoming an adult and getting older is, you know, questioning your sense of purpose and what it all means and existentialism and things. And my point to that is, you know, if your sense of purpose is that unstable, well, then you clearly have some things that you need to work through. And I doubt that you will ever get there if you refuse to question your ideas and assumptions, you might never even get a chance to examine those assumptions because you've completely closed yourself off to it. And my question is, okay, yeah, this belief system, this way of believing is working for you right now. But if you're this scared to think about it and to talk about it, how long do you think that's going to hold? Like, how long do you think this dam that you've put up is going to hold back the waters of logic? You know, how long before that all comes crashing down and you realize by the time you acknowledge that this little band-aid that you've been using to stave off an existential crisis, you know, do you really want to wait until you're already drowning and in a full on existential crisis before you actually stop and try to have a thoughtful and deep intelligent conversation about what matters and what doesn't and what's real and what isn't now for the last one, um, this is my favorite one because this is the one, Scott, you brought this one up earlier. The offense defense. The best offense is a good defense, right? So anybody that challenges anything that you believe, you can start by acting offended as if by saying you play the victim, right? Like this kind of works by blurring the lines between a, you know, a probing question where somebody's really just trying to get into the heart of what you believe and why you believe it. And you meet that and you, you blur the line with that and an aggressive like verbal abuse or an attack on your person. So you, you just pretend like you can't tell the difference between the two. And of course, like it's not that the person questioning you is interested in attacking you. They just want to find out if the idea that you have is true and genuinely helpful and, and the way that, you know, you kind of get around this is you have to build a gap between your beliefs and thoughts and your sense of self because you are not your thoughts or beliefs. And that comes back to the mindful meditation uh, podcast that we did earlier where we were talking about observing your thoughts and all sensations, um, whether it's a sense of, you know, cold or an emotion or an itch or you know, an image or anything, it's all just patterns of energy and your thoughts fall into that category and they just kind of come up. And if you're an ideological person, you identify with those beliefs and you genuinely experience any challenge to those beliefs as a personal attack on you and your identity. 
And I think that that's something that we as a society have to get over. I think that that's at, that's at the crux of this entire issue where if you're the type of person that identifies with your thoughts, you're in trouble and you're going to, you're going to use all of these strategies. You're going to run through this entire playbook that I just laid out to try to defend your belief systems instead of just having like, you know, Steve and Scott have had on many occasions, just having a damn conversation. It doesn't mean if just because I disagree with your thoughts and your beliefs, or just because you disagree with mine, doesn't mean you're attacking me. You have to be able to see the difference between those two things. Cause if you don't, then you're never going to get anywhere with your development. And I truly believe inevitably it might not happen until you're on your deathbed, but at a certain point, you're going to have to deal with your own existential crisis. And if you haven't done this exercise and, and learned to not identify with your thoughts, then you're going to have a really rough go at the end of your life. And I see people towards the end of their life fall apart. This is a really common thing. And I also see it in people in like their early twenties, you know, it, it hits di at different times and at different strengths for different people. But I think that the people like us that sit here and have these conversations and actually think, you know, thoughtfully about these issues, we have a lot better go of it. Or at least I, I think I do based on, you know, the, the way that I've changed just in the last five years or so. You know, I, 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 one of my favorite quotes that is, is something Jordan Peterson said during one of his big interviews and and in the interview, the woman was like, you know, how, how can you offend people? And his comeback was, was how can you not? <laughs> if, you are, if you're actually having an honest conversation with somebody, at some point, you're going to be offended and you're going to offend. And if you cannot handle being offended by conversation, then you've lost the game to begin with. You have to, you have to be able to be offended by something to actually be able to have an under, honest conversation about it. So at the end of the day, stop being offended by everything. Even things that offend you, you have to let that go to be able to, to, to have those conversations and get the ideas out. I, I think that, uh, that if you have true tolerance, true tolerance, you'll never get offended. Yeah. Well, you're going to get offended, but you're so. going to tolerate the offense. Well, I, well, I think it's more it may make you uncomfortable at times. Oh, it's uncomfortable. It, it sucks. You, it, it might be uncomfortable at times. It, yeah, I mean, it sucks uh, to have be your beliefs challenged. It can be well, well, it's not a truly offensive. Uh, yes, when I, I know, when but I hear, even though it's a yeah, it's I mean, semantics, it could be, it, but yeah, it could be any number yeah. of those things. The best conversations you're going to go from maybe being offended by something to disliking something yeah. to oh, yeah. to being completely argumentative about something. And me and Steve do it every day. But you know, <laughs> I think, but I think the term, I think the term being offended means that you get angry. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, you know, and if you let and if you let a conversation get you angry, then you're not tolerant. Well, no, you can be angry about it, but you can control your anger and not let and not vocalize it or not become physical with it. Or you just so notice I can be, I can you notice the anger in any conversation, but it's how I 
how I let that anger control me defines whether or not the conversation becomes some heated debate that turns into a fist fight. Then we might have a little bit different definition of what anger is. <clears throat> I mean, you know. I mean, come on, you you know, you're just walking around the house and your wife says something, you don't get angry, but you hold that in and be polite, even though what she did, you're like, oh my God, I wish you wouldn't do that. <laughs> but it can be as simple. Happy, happy wife, happy life. Yeah, it can be as simple. It can be as simple as, you, okay, it's not, the point is to not get angry. That That's not the point. Like, it's not to, it's not to limit your experiences in life and your emotions of what you're allowed to feel and what you're not allowed to feel and what you should feel and versus what you shouldn't feel. Feel whatever the hell you feel, you know, whatever just comes up because the point is it comes out of nowhere. The point is to just notice it and then decide whether or not to interact with it. And the point of like mindfulness is it, it gives you that ability to not interact with things that won't serve you, like getting angry over someone challenging your stance on whatever. Yep. What makes you angry, Steve? Scott. <laughs> <laughs> More often no, than not. No, no. You know, I try. That's a work in progress. Well, I know we've had this conversation. And it is a work in progress. Things that used to make me angry until I started meditating. A lot of the, yeah, a lot of stuff that used to get under my skin no longer, because it doesn't matter. I mean, that's why I asked you. Yeah, in in, in the end, it doesn't matter. You just see it for what it is. Yeah, you know. That's the uh, point. and, And just like this conversation, you know, as we're sitting here talking, the thing going through my mind this is consciousness at work. This is consciousness slowly just figuring it out, all these different conversations and all the other conversations that are taking we're, place We're just today. talking to ourselves, right? Yeah, yeah. but well, you have yeah, to let, end. but you do need to talk to yourself. You know, even if you believe that we're all, you know, our consciousness all comes from the same place and we're just individual parts of a collective, you still need to keep the open lines of communication because just like you can have what's the point of even being here if there's not this constant activity of growth and getting through things well that's why you know the notion of it's a private belief well there's no such thing you know if it's truly a private belief then i wouldn't know that that's even what you believe yeah I mean, how could i what is a private belief i don't know? think it exists unless you've got like <laughs> I I said, that's kind of my point like i don't you, think that's a thing you got the kids chained up downstairs and you don't want them going to public school you know making all that's private you know it's none of your business yeah but well, that, that that becomes somebody's business yeah because you're fucking up those kids right all right. Well, this is uh, we're we're right at we're right at an hour here, so a little bit more. Yeah, an hour and fifteen ish. Well, this has been the two thirty seven podcast um, on belief systems. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure where we're going to go next, but we definitely have a lot of places we could go. So tune in next week to find out. And everybody, have a conversation with your neighbor, or your friend, your family. Sit down and talk about the things that matter. Well, and let us know what you want us to talk about. And be aware of this playbook. You know, when you do challenge people's beliefs, you know, don't be a dick about it. But, you know, when you start to really try to dig in and ask thoughtful questions, you're going to see people get defensive and you're going to see them run through this playbook that I just laid out for you. And at least now 
you hopefully have some tools to kind of get around that and keep the conversation going instead of taking the approach that I've taken my entire life of going, well, that's what they believe. I can't do anything about it. So it's not harming anybody because you know what it, it is. It's, it, it's not about harm. It, it's affecting, it's affecting it. What you believe affects everyone around you, it, you know, regardless of how deep you want to get into whether or not consciousness creates reality or, you know, how, how, how deep and philosophical you want to get about it. There's no argument that your beliefs don't affect everyone around you. You know what? And, and at the end of the day, having a conversation, your beliefs are not going to just automatically change, but having the conversations will change the way you think about other people's beliefs and your own. So have the conversations. I truly believe you cannot change what a person thinks, but you can change how they think. You can change the way they process information as it's coming in. Yep. That's the best you can hope to do. Yep. Well said. Everybody have a great week. We'll see you next time. Keep it weird, people. All right. <laughs>